0: Welcome, gamers, to Baseball Arcade. Pause me—the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I am your host, Ben Magnet, and today on the show, I have yet another guest I have met from SoCal Gaming Expo, who has also created a video game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Nick Munson, the creator of Copper Jacket. Nick, how are you,
1: dude? Very good. How are you doing, Ben?
0: I am doing fantastic. Now, if you're watching this, uh, quick little thing. If you're watching, if you're listening to this, well, then you're just listening to this. Everything is like normal. But if you're watching this, unfortunately, Nick's uh, camera is busted. So we have the gray blob or the, yes. gray, uh, or the gray stick figure for us <laughs> today. But worry not, we're still going to have a fantastic show. We have an amazing game to talk about. I played a little bit of it when we were at SoCal Gaming. But before we get into all of that, Nick, I have a question for you, good sir.
1: What exactly got you into video games? Well, that's a good question. Probably just playing games. I've been playing games since, uh, well, before I could even really read, uh, quite frankly. My dad had an NES, and he uh, never really used it. He bought it when he was in college and kind of gave it to me, and I was playing it nonstop, um, and really developed a, a love for chiptunes and pixel art and things of that nature just because, yeah, this was one of the the first things I was exposed to, and it was, uh, yeah, very very interesting. You know, as a kid, you know, everything's kind of flashy and new, but seeing games as a kid, you know, it's very... Uh, Captivating, right? Mm-hmm. It, you you're you can easily get lost in this uh, fantasy world and or any fantasy world, and it's kind of different from games nowadays. Uh, I think just because you know graphics are so much more sophisticated, and you don't really have to use your imagination so much to, to see <laughs> the graphics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, back then, yeah, you, uh, you kind of had to use a little bit of imagination when you were uh, looking at the the TV screen there because uh, things were. Uh, very pixelated and uh yeah not too terribly detailed but yeah i'd say just being exposed to games at a young age you know it just seemed like uh such a fantastic thing uh that people you know actually made this stuff i always wanted to do that as soon as uh yeah i was i played my first game i i was immediately wondered like yeah how how the heck does this work you know there's this you know cartridge and you just you plug it into this box and you know it just you turn on the TV you turn on the system and a magical world uh, appears right before your very eyes and yeah i just thought the people who made this must be like gods to, to create this universe <laughs> you know um but as i got older uh, i started uh messing around with a game genie and you know i kind of discovered that you know it's really code that goes behind this stuff and you can inject code into uh, these games to make them do different things that was like uh, a huge uh, epiphany for me i remember playing um oh i forget which pokemon game it was but i got uh, an action replay and uh, i had the ability to you know basically just spawn any pokemon i wanted so (laughs) it was like wow you know i just wasted like hours and hours and hours searching for like this shiny pokemon and here I could just cheat, right, and just <laughs> spawn one instantly. It was just, yeah, it it, it kind of uh, established this bridge. The it, it or a, yeah, a bridge for me, the, the bridge between the the game world and the code world. And yeah, this was like the first step that I took on that bridge. Was ah, yes, I can I can manipulate this stuff, and uh, that kind of got me interested in just programming in general. Um, But yeah, as as time went by, uh, I learned more and more about how games work. Uh, I was initially very interested in just making, um, well, uh, this was probably back around like 2005-ish, 2006-ish. I was really into Flash and making Flash animations with sprites Uh (laughs) just because... uh, Uh, I didn't really know code that well. So and I still wanted to make, you know, stuff related to to games. So I would uh, make these terrible animations in uh, Windows Movie Maker with uh, uh, yeah, these uh, pixel graphics. And yeah, uh, let me tell you, Ben, they were just atrocious. (laughs) I saved them. (laughs) Uh, I'm
0: sure they were. Oh, yes. First of all, it's Windows Movie Maker. You're forgiven already. Second, you were a kid. I remember when I was in my um, I was in like my computer class when I was in middle school and I forgot what the program we were um, like learning and doing stuff, but we were supposed to make like some sort of animation. And I remember that I was the only one who was like, I th- I think I was the only one who was like really having fun in that thing because people were just like making like simple like little like stick figure stuff mm-hmm. or they were just like taking clip art and we were just making these little animations and I made a car do a backflip and had a T-Rex yell, sweet dude. <laughs> just just because I'm like, let's go balls to the wall.
1: Right. It's very liberating with animation. You know, it's, it's different from film where you're kind of restricted to, you know, what uh, props you have and what kind of camera you've got. But with like, digital animation or uh, even a traditional cell animation right you can kind of draw your own environment and make mm-hmm. you know whatever you want uh, to happen happen uh, i was really into uh, uh yeah like making old sonic the hedgehog type flash <laughs> skits <laughs> yes yeah, so i was really into that uh you know sonic was really cool back then yeah even hey, in you the... can't
0: see it but there's like a essentially a sonic shrine just off camera so you were <laughs> nice. in good company with sonic fans here <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i was i don't know it was just something about sonic i, I really liked um yeah playing uh the sonic games especially uh, on the genesis you know Sonic Two a it's up there with one of my favorite games, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would make these really uh, crummy little skits. I would back then. I didn't even know like uh, there was like different formats to um, like image files, so I would save them as JPEGs instead of uh, like bitmap files. So yeah, JPEG does that compression, and it just it just ruins any pixel uh, image that you've got. Uh, it makes it all fuzzy and just horrible looking and i remember thinking to myself like man you know i swear this looked a lot better you know before i saved this <laughs> but yeah like, i know this looks better why does it look so bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it was pretty bad just in general but <laughs> it was especially bad <laughs> it was it
0: once again just flashbacks to middle school elementary school you're working on a project or you have a paper and then you think oh you could like do a little razzle dazzle with it and you could put a like oh i could put a picture inside my paper and it'll make it look 10 times better to help my art or whatever i'm talking about and you do the famous drag and drop and next thing you know everything gets all jumbled up and you're like uh, i messed up
1: yep yep yeah but yeah so that was like um yeah I, since i couldn't make games i would just make videos and you know over time i slowly uh just learned how to write small little programs uh, the first language i learned was uh visual basic which is kind of uh, a sin to some people hate that language uh but i think it's actually a really great uh, starting point especially if you're you know very young and you don't really know much about programming uh you know visual basic is a great way to like jump in and start doing uh like GUI design and stuff mm-hmm. like that which uh is kind of all i knew about what uh coding was like it was very visual for me uh i didn't know like oh you could really programs they're you know they can run it as background services they can do you know anything really they can drive uh machinery they can you know create virtual worlds they don't have to just talk to a monitor you know code does you know whatever you want it to do but yeah um yeah that was yeah my first exposure to programming was just writing small little um, apps uh, with simple little buttons and Visual Basics. Uh, one of the very first programs I wrote was uh, just a mouse clicker. You'd like click a button and it would just do this loop where it would spam the mouse click event. So, like if you hovered over something for one second, it would spawn like. 100 instances of it because you just clicked it 100 times. It was really, yeah, really Uh, it, it operated more like malware than anything else. But <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. That sounds like chaos to me. It's just like, mm, what can I do?
0: <laughs> it's like someone hovers over a thing and the next thing you know is like, you just click something and then like a bunch of other windows just pop up and you're like, ah!
1: Yes. Yeah, it's just weird little things like that uh, that I started off writing. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of nostalgic for those times. You know, this was around like 2008. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you have a YouTube channel or not, but
0: um, oh, we do. I, this is
1: recording straight to the YouTube channel. Oh, really? Oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah, I yeah, I've been around on YouTube for quite a long time, but I yeah, I don't do any streaming or anything like that. I hardly ever use my YouTube channel, but. Yeah, back in the day, I used to do this thing on YouTube called channel surfing. And oh. basically, uh, yeah, not I don't think too many people know about this. It used to be uh, yeah, a small community of YouTubers that would basically go around and subscribe to every channel that they could find. Um, because the way that YouTube was laid out back in the day, you had... Um, it was kind of like a... of like myspace in a sense where you could customize your channel you could have all these colors you could uh you, you know there used to be friends on youtube uh i used to have a big uh yeah friend following i guess you could say but anyways yeah part of this community we'd go around and just uh subscribe to just random channels um and the idea behind it was well you kind of you get exposure that way because uh if you were the first subscriber on a channel Then your profile would show up on that channel page as the first person to subscribe, so it kind of gave people incentive to be like the first person to subscribe to a channel. So people would go around to all these channels, just subscribing to them all, and like leaving like, "Oh, I posted like the first comment, so I'm like, like I win." You know, it's just really stupid (laughs) stuff like this. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, YouTube was such a different place back then. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. did you have uh like a youtube channel back in like the very early days i don't even think i knew youtube
0: existed back in the early days like you mentioned myspace and already i'm just like Ugh! like just transported back into 2004 or 2005 just trying to make my myspace page look remotely cool compared to <laughs> all like because you like people forget because unfortunately, when I was introduced to MySpace, I was only introduced to the bad side of MySpace. My dad's a retired peace officer, and he has made arrests through fighting dudes on MySpace. So unfortunately, oh. I was uh, when I was introduced to MySpace, it was more of a bad place that don't go there because you never know who's on the other end of the computer. Yeah, but if you also think about it, MySpace was like the perfect tool to teach people how to code, how to learn HTML. Because that, because uh, of HTML, that was a, how people were able to, essentially, you go to the MySpace and you're essentially your eyeballs are assaulted with pastel colors and glitter font.
1: Right, right. I
0: can't tell you how many girls in my grade had like bright pink backgrounds with even brighter yellow font, and it was all sparkling, glittery. And I'm just like, how do they do that? I think I right. finally. I think I finally, I had to like beg some friends of mine or even beg my brother because he knew how to work around it. He somehow learned I never did. And he I was like, "I want to do I want my page to look like this." And he was just like, well, what do you mean look like this?" I'm like, "I don't know, just like something better, something cool." And mm-hmm. of course, being the, the, I was like the typical client could go into a graphic designer saying, "I know what I want, but I, I did not really know what I want. Let's be real."
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah that stuff was i don't i don't know some of my coworkers, um they hated the way that myspace handled things and the same thing with youtube They were big fans of how facebook approached uh you know uh, presenting a web front which is we design everything for you so you don't have to and you know i'm I got this like creative bug in me that just wants to make things my way, and I don't really like, mm-hmm. care if someone else like has something that looks ugly or whatever. You know, it's kind of subjective in my yeah. opinion, and yeah, I, it just it used to be a lot more free back in those days. Uh, everything is so much more corporatized now, which mm-hmm. I mean, it's got its pros and cons. But I, I'm definitely uh, a big fan of the old school uh, internet in terms of. Um, like social media, how things used to be ran and how they used to look—it was just, I don't know, so much more comfy.
0: You wanted to make it your space,
1: in a yes. way. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and and like you you were mentioning, yeah, it, it definitely um, uh, inspires people to learn. Uh, you know, some basic HTML stuff. I remember uh, being puzzled as to how people pulled off these tricks, uh, especially on YouTube. used to be this thing um since youtube wasn't very big you know there were bugs in it and people could exploit those bugs and those bugs really wouldn't ever get fixed because you know they didn't have uh hundreds of thousands of people working for youtube back then but like one of the bugs was um in the comment section you could write like a character and then you could do um the i guess the greater than sign the whatever that character is. And if you'd like repeated that a bunch of times, just like some character with that um, symbol, it would break the uh, render for the YouTube comments. And you'd have this giant string that just spans across the entire uh, page. And it, it causes this like huge scroll bar to appear at the bottom of the page because it, it you basically change the width of the page. Uh, to match this huge string that you created. And uh, I just, I thought that was so funny. Like, yeah, like I can just go, or someone could go to my page and just like spam this thing and break my comment section or something, you know? (laughs) Like it was very, yeah, it wasn't very, um, I don't know, pristine and, uh, yeah, professional. It was just, I don't know, it it was something... Something more small scale, which uh, I wish things were kind of like. But I mean, at the same time, YouTube was not very small scale. I mean, there was millions of people using YouTube back then. So it definitely had like a live community. I know there's lots of people out on the internet that tried to recreate that magic. I think, um, I'm trying to remember the names of them now. Zipcast was one of these sites. And I think Vidly is another one. I'm not sure if they exist anymore. But basically, after uh, Google had bought YouTube... Uh, they were like like axing all of these features, stripping away things like uh, YouTube friends and uh, video responses, and people are getting fed up with it. Uh, especially when they went to the Channel One design, which is where they stripped out all of that customization for you mm. to have. So people try to recreate YouTube uh, with the old layout on these different uh, websites. But the problem was is that there's just no people on these sites so it's kind of like a ghost town it's yeah. got this like zombified clone of <laughs> of youtube that looks the same but just it isn't because it doesn't mm-hmm. have the people and that's really what made youtube and all these other social uh media sites very special was uh mm-hmm. yeah the community
0: yeah and even pop I mean, also, also, to if I think about, I mean, just to think about it, while it is good to go back to the, or, or while it is, while we do want to go back, you know, I, I won't lie, there's many times where I'm like, man, I just want to go back to the good old, you know, the good old days, where things were less hectic, things were less problematic. With places like YouTube, or even social media sites, they're constantly changing, they're constantly getting new users. Going back to the old ones is, I would say, and maybe not a little hard, especially since we've gotten so used to the new stuff, but at the same time, the newer generation, they don't know what old YouTube was like. They look at old YouTube and they're like, ah, what's this thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even now with, with MySpace, just talking to you, just talking to my nieces and nephews about because they all, all I've known is Facebook, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And the second I mentioned MySpace, they could look at me like, what's MySpace? I'm like, oh god, we've reached that point in time. Like, <laughs> Just I I it's like I become my parents where they're like, <laughs> what's MySpace? What is this new fangled thing called social media? And now it's um we went from talking about MySpace, like trying to explain what MySpace is to our parents, but also to the younger generation. Yeah. Because MySpace is dead. I didn't think we were gonna talk of all the things we we're gonna talk about today, my friend, I did not think MySpace was gonna be <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like oh cool you started about uh, coding like doing the game gene that's like a really interesting way and then we just dovetail into my space <laughs> it's like tom where are you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sorry Save yeah, us from w- mark zuckerberg sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely went down a little uh uh rabbit hole <laughs> oh that's the
0: beauty of possum we go down rabbit holes all the time but i will say one thing about i mean because i was definitely like you were talking about how um a lot of social media sites now they're very corporatized it's very um, unlike they have a lot of uh, pre-think pre-done templates and there's not a lot of customization i will definitely say because i'm not i'm still not very um code savvy i loved that because it's uh, i could put up pictures i could put up stuff i wanted and i didn't have to worry about it because i was very much of I I would rage quit sometimes. So especially Mm. with my old MySpace page, I'm trying to get the one thing to look exactly the way I wanted it. And every time, and next thing you know, it'd be skewed to the side, skewed to the left, skewed to the right. So I was very much in the camp of just do it for me. Just let me drag and drop my photos. But one thing I really miss, I don't miss the Farmville invitations, but I do (laughs) miss the competitive Tetris that me and my friends would play on Facebook, though that I miss.
1: Yeah, yeah. I never really got into the Facebook uh, gaming side. I was more interested in playing games. Uh, well, oh, do you remember Newgrounds? I do. Yeah i I wasn't an active content creator on there, but I definitely consumed a lot of content on that site. Uh, that was pretty big back in the day, and I remember, uh, yeah, just watching uh, all sorts of cartoons and uh, just. Flash animation stuff and yeah, playing all sorts of uh, web games on there, which yeah, it's, it's, I think Newgrounds is still alive, but I, yeah, just you never hear about it. It seems like it's just a, uh, yeah, an echo at this point, an echo of a different era. Yeah,
0: and, it was the big three when I was young was Newgrounds, e bombs world and albino black sheep and i was on albino black sheep a lot and i remember playing games on albino like there i remember there's this um flash game called archer that my brother and i even um, actually my whole family would play where it's just like there's just these two archers and you're x amount you're a certain distance away but the whole time you just have to like angle your shot and just try to hit the other guy Mm-hmm. And I think you take like four or five shots and you know, you lose cause like animation animated blood would just spill out everywhere.
1: <laughs> Man. Yeah. I remember a lot. There's so many of those games back then. And yeah, so many of them were really bad. I remember um, a lot of the games I played were those. Uh, oh, I forget the, the genre. Basically it's where you, you point and click, right? Mm-hmm. Those kind of uh, yeah. Adventure type games or mystery type games where you got to just like spam the, click button to find <laughs> the right thing you need to click on to advance i remember playing a lot of that uh back in those days i, I don't know if uh yeah if uh, like today's like younger generations if they were even aware of like those kind of games it, it feels like uh, like phone games really dominated and kind of supplanted uh, that genre of yeah like those flash type games so yeah it I'm kind of curious to, yeah, talk to someone who's younger to see if, like, yeah, they're even aware of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I would, because for a, for about three to four years, my youngest nephew lived with uh, my family. Back, um this is a this was a while ago. Uh, he's in a he's in middle school, about to go into high school now, and I can definitely say phone games were definitely more of his forte because it you know it was simple he they would give him a, a iPad or they would give him a phone he would play Angry Birds off that I remember he would play checkers with my dad on an iPad and I mean there were a few times I saw him try to um play with my three ds like I would catch him because it, it would, my three ds would be charging in the quarter and I would come into my room I would come into a room or the living room where I was playing and he would be sitting there trying to play I'm like, what are you doing?" he's like <laughs> thing but Definitely because definitely because I would say those mobile games were much more prevalent because back in our day, mobile games, I mean, they were still a thing, but they weren't that good. Yeah, (laughs) and they weren't really the best. So it's like so it's like I can't really play games on my phone because a they cost a dollar. My parents are going to be angry if I spend a dollar on a phone game. Might as well just go to the Internet and play stuff through there for free
1: yeah (laughs) yeah i mean yeah growing up uh i didn't really have i mean yeah by the time like phones came out for me um yeah i I, they were just so basic and primitive that you couldn't really run games on them um i guess so yeah around high school i did have like like very basic games but yeah it just wasn't that big of a uh a market I know a coworker of mine, he, uh, he published a few games, uh, around this time and yeah, they, uh, I mean, yeah, they weren't like the greatest thing ever, but like, just because, uh, there wasn't, the market wasn't inundated with games. Like they did fairly well for the time being, but like nowadays it's just, yeah, there's so many phone games. Like it's so easy to just get lost in, uh, you know, this sea of, uh, well frankly uh, just shovelware at this point you know yeah. people just keep shoveling this stuff out you know like no tomorrow um although i haven't really kept my eye on this market so it, perhaps it's changed over like maybe the past five years but i don't know it, it's it just seems like yeah during this past decade there's just a crazy amount of uh phone games that were uh, published and released no you're 100 right it also really depends on what type of a
0: phone game it is um because nowadays every time i see a new an ad for a mobile game or ad for anything i just know microtransactions are going to be a part of it some way shape or form yeah i really feel that those obviously microtransactions they suck they're not fun but like there's a game on my phone i played not religiously, but I played for a good week and a half called Disney Mirrorverse, where it's like they take Disney characters, but they're, they're different. Like they redesign them. and It's this whole different universe that compared to the Disney stuff that we know and love. Mm-hmm. It's like Kingdom Hearts, but not Kingdom Hearts in a way that everyone knows each other. It's it's really cool. And the designs are really interesting and they're really well thought Um, and they're really well thought through. But once again, it's a, it's a mobile game that has a, a billion and a half microtransactions Ugh. attached to it, so you can get all these new different characters. And while the gameplay is fun, once you get to a certain part and you can grind through the game, but it's just one of those gameplay loops where it's fun for a little bit, but it's like, I don't want to grind through this. I definitely don't want to spend my money on it. So I played it for a while and I stopped playing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I I can't stand that uh, those microtransactions or paying for DLC or any of that stuff like uh, it's just awful in my opinion like if I buy the game I should own the game you know like that's I guess kind of tying it back to uh, like the world of NES like when I was a a kid uh, yeah when my dad took me to the store uh, to buy (laughs) yeah to buy a game from GameStop you know we would pick up you know an NES game and yeah that was mine you know i owned that that uh that belonged to me if i wanted to share it with a friend i could just give it to them uh there was no like hidden fees or anything like that i mean granted the games were very expensive back then but uh still like you you own that uh that piece of media and mm-hmm. it, it lasts for a long time i know a coworker of mine was telling me that um he can't play uh, certain xbox games because they're just uh, out of date i guess or something like that and yeah i don't really have any xbox systems but if that's true i mean man that's that's just a tragedy you know <laughs> imagine paying for something and then yeah not being able to play play it because oh uh yeah it's just simply not supported anymore like or i it like could be, it could be disc rot too but
0: it, i mean it depends on what type of xbox game it is is if it's a if it's a big multiplayer game then the the servers are shut down and there's no way to get back to the servers then yeah you're kind of you're kind of sol on that
1: front yeah yeah um but yeah i I would say that yeah just stability that's what i like with uh, older systems even today right like if i write software for the nes it's going to always work right the system doesn't have any updates to it there's the the hardware's not changing there's you know the way i talk to the tv is not going to change the way i talk to the controller is not going to change you know if i wanted to change something like i could do that myself or i could subscribe to these standards that already exist and it's just going to work whereas um like web development, for instance, like if I am going to make a, a game for a uh, uh, like a website, well, I have to worry about constantly maintaining that because websites and web browsers, uh, you know, they change all the time. And I mean, the same thing with uh, developing a game for Windows, for instance. Right? Windows is always updating; it's always changing, and you're always having to work uh, to keep your program compatible with these modern systems. And uh, to me, that's just not really making any progress. You're kind of just wasting much of time treading water when instead you could be writing code for another game, right? Like it, mm-hmm. I, I just don't I, I'm just not a fan of this uh, this constant flux that uh, we find ourselves in with uh, certain uh, pieces of technology. That's why it's yeah. for me, it's better to just stick with something that's stable and yeah, it's not yeah. going to change.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of something that's not going to change, let's talk a little bit about Copper Jacket, shall we?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So, i I want to know the process of how you thought of the idea for Copper Jacket. The first time you essentially made a game—is this your first game that you made for the NES, or is this like a, a, um, or is this, or did this become of, or did this happen because of another previous project?
1: So I've. Yeah, I've written several games before, but this is the first game I've written for the NES. I've written a a couple of small little demos uh, for the NES, but yeah, nothing uh, quite on the scale as Copper Jacket. So officially, it is my first game that I've uh, developed for the NES. I did have some experience writing uh, demos and small little games for the Game Boy, but Mm -hmm. again, they're never really complete, and they're really just small little demos. i guess you could consider them kind of like phone game type uh uh games for lack of uh-huh. a better term but yeah no this was my my first nes game
0: okay so when did you come up with the idea for copper jacket like what was the the excuse the pun but what was the genesis of
1: copper jacket <laughs> well not, yeah that's a good question i wanted to make uh oh uh, yes no yes okay i was playing um Metal Gear, I was replaying Metal Gear a few years ago, uh, probably in 2017. And I had just come off of a a high from beating Contra, uh, the first one. And I was thinking to myself, you know, like, I kind of want to experience Contra in this sort of top down format. Like, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, because Metal Gear is a completely different type of game. It's uh, not at all like, well, I mean, it's similar to Contra, but, you know, radically different. So I was thinking, like, yeah, it'd be a lot more fun if um, this was just a, you know, vertical scrolling game, and I could, could just shoot like everything in sight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I kind of uh, started uh, drafting up some ideas for what this game would look like based off of my experience uh, playing those two games. Uh, I wanted something that yeah, kind of had that feel and look to it, and the control of those games, but yeah, kind of slightly just mixed together. Because yeah, you don't want to just make something that's already made because, yeah, what's the point of doing that? People are just going to go to the thing they know and like already. So there's no point of just totally recreating something that already exists. But I figured, you know, I don't recall any games having like uh, conveyor belts or, you know, uh, water that slows you down or mm-hmm. uh, things like this in this kind of format. So it's like it's got a few you know, little unique things in it that kind of make it stand out. I mean, it's not revolutionary, obviously. I mean, it's, it's just a top-down shooter. But, um, yeah, I, I wanted, again, to just kind of fuse these concepts together and make something that I thought was uh, pretty interesting.
0: Well, uh, I would definitely say it was interesting to see the show. That's for damn sure. Because you don't. I feel like even with the stuff like the NES, when you see people who make NES games or NES-style games, it's... Not okay. It, I don't know if it's always like, or a lot of times when you hear about these games, they're on Steam or they're on the Indie tab of, like, say, the, the Nintendo eShop or the PlayStation e or the PlayStation Store or what what have you. But what I love about seeing what you, your game when I saw you at the show was that you had physical NES cartridges of your game, and it was plugged into an NES top loader playing on a CRT TV. ready to go yes i feel the only other company that i know that makes even attempts to make old cartridges anymore is either is limited run games and retrobit that's about it and those cartridges they're like you know special editions they're really special they're limited to x amount of numbers what prompted you to make a physical cartridge for these and also how hard was it to get the parts and get the cases for us because i can only imagine that these cartridges are really hard to come by nowadays
1: yeah so yeah making the carts uh that definitely took uh a bit of research uh you know i'm still kind of learning the proper ways uh, of doing this stuff i spent a year just trying to figure out how to properly design uh, the pcb that's the, the printed circuit board the actual mm-hmm. chip itself so and or- basically the first thing i did was just yeah, do a bunch of googling on how to design stuff uh i was already familiar with uh many different types of cadding programs so picking up eagle pcb wasn't too difficult for me and uh yeah i'm a uh, so by trade uh i'm a software engineer i went to school originally for mechanical engineering and then i changed to computer engineering And then, yeah, finally to software or computer science, I should say. So I have exposure to quite a range of different disciplines uh, just from college, Mm -hmm. and I knew like the the principles behind this stuff, but actually doing it, you know, it's a whole nother i know a whole other thing right it's like oh yeah between like reading how to swim and actually like swimming yeah those are <laughs> two different things so oh you know, yeah was, definitely yeah i was learning to swim here <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so um yeah I, I catted it up uh then i so i used a company uh pcb way they're a manufacturer in china and they designed or they didn't design but they they took my designs and uh, they were able to produce uh, these printed circuit boards. And from there, I was able to. Uh, well, I guess I'm, I'm getting a, a step ahead because I had to figure out how to properly, uh, like, design this stuff. Which I mean, that took some time. But I have to, yeah. Uh, give a shout out to the uh, Nest Dev World. There, they've got a, a wiki. That has uh, a lot of schematics uh, for the NES, and it they tell you like the pinout and uh, like what dimensions uh, these boards are. So all I had to do was just read those schematics and look at the board dimensions, and then just yeah, uh, create a model based off of those values. And then once I had that, yeah, then I sent it over to China. They produce it, they ship the stuff back here, and then. Um, yeah, I can basically get uh, all the other components needed. So there's NES, it's got, uh, well, okay, I should back up a bit. There's different uh, different things called mappers, and mappers are basically the the way that the, the PCB is mapped. So there's going to be different chips depending on uh, the kind of mapper that you use. So for instance... Uh, the cn raw mapper which is the mapper for this uh nes game it's got uh uh, it's got a a cic chip it's not really a cic chip it's uh, something that basically talks to the cic chip uh, on the nes so it unlocks the system Uh, the cic i believe that stands for checking integrated circuit so it basically checks the cartridge uh, to see if it's a uh, regional region it checks its region validation basically if it's mm-hmm. in the wrong region then yeah you you can't play it or if it's not official then yeah it rejects it and there's um, uh two flash rom chips uh that i'm using on this originally they used like real rom <laughs> but uh rom is very uh expensive to produce these days i mean mm-hmm was even back then so it's it's just cheaper to use flash and flash is uh it's gotten pretty stable and reliable uh over the years so uh that's what most people use when they manufacture these things is just flash rom so Mm -hmm. you got two flash rom chips one for basically the images and another for the uh the program the code the data all that stuff so you got two chips for that and then the cn-rom mapper has a special chip uh that allows this ability to swap uh, banks for the 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 character memory. So that allows you to express different pattern tables, meaning like say you've got like a tile set, right? You've got a bunch of graphics.'re they're, they're made up of sprites and tiles. And you want to swap that out with a different set of tiles and graphics, right? So, like, say you've got level one, it's like a snow zone. And I don't know, in level two, you've got like some volcano fire zone, and you've got radically different graphics, right? It's useful Mm -hmm. to be able to swap these uh, pattern tables out so you can, you know, represent different worlds differently as opposed to kind of having to do this weird hacky thing where you just change the palettes on stuff kind of like in a super mario bros one you know how the the clouds and the bushes they're the same graphics but they just do this little palette swap thing yeah so the cn raw mapper it's a special kind of mapper where yeah it can uh switch between these uh these different pattern tables and it's got you've got four that you can swap uh in and out of which is pretty useful but still quite limited uh so for for this game, it's it's uh, sixty four kilobytes total, thirty two kilobytes for the program ROM and thirty two kilobytes for what they call the character ROM, which is like the graphics and stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Okay, wow! Who knew that about all that work went into making one NES cartridge?
1: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> for the, a lot of I mean, for those of for those of my audience um, who aren't super. I mean, I'm somewhat computer savvy um but i I can only imagine that not everyone listening to the show is if you are awesome if not don't worry about it but you look at something like the the nes and you look at you put an nes game next to you know let's just go to the full extreme next to a ps5 game obviously complete nine day difference you look at the nes game and you're like oh yeah to no wonder someone could eat like a small team of people or one person could code make and now even manufacture an NES game compared to something like the on the PS5 where it's like you know massive like it's not even a close to a comparison to be honest but then when you still like when you were telling me all like all the, the chip differences you have to make sure that you have the right amount of chips you have to make sure you had the right uh, dimensions for the board uh, all these like different little factors I want to say like gamers forget that even though now games for like the NES or even the Atari because Back in the early '80s and late '70s, one person made a game for for systems like the Atari, ColecoVision, and Television, and what have you. And then you look at these hundred, nearly thousand people teams on modern day games. It's like, while the difference is truly night and day, it still hasn't gotten any easier.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely i guess for these older games right you have this added dimension of developing electronics right Mm because modern games right you don't i mean some some developers don't even ship a disc it's just like yeah a download code right so
0: god i hate that so much (laughs) i i hate that so i mean thankfully i have yet to experience that with the games i've bought personally um But when I buy like a case, like a for a physical game, I expect there to be a disc in there, not just a download code, because if it's just a download code, like this is a waste of plastic.
1: This (laughs) is stupid. Yes, I agree. Just
0: give me the little paper card and I'll scratch off the thing if you're just going to do that. I think the one game because I know DuckTales Remastered did that. I mean, I get it. They're doing it because they want something on the shelf. But at least with DuckTales, like when DuckTales Remastered came out before they came, they put the game on a physical disc. You at least got a special edition Disney pin, which, okay, something for my troubles, because not only do I get the game, but I also get a pin and I get something on my shelf. But thank goodness they rectified that. Sit, They took that decision back and said, "Nah, physical game. Here you go. You can put the disc in this system. It's going to work. We promise.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, it's i have to admit it is a lot of trouble uh going through and developing something physical you know it's you're going from zero to one and yeah that's it's it's just you have to worry about all these all these types of small little things that you wouldn't really consider um uh, if you're going to produce uh just even a like a normal disc right like Mm -hmm. uh, you gotta get the right kind of disc manufacturer you have to uh Make sure that your game fits on the disc, right? That's another kind of challenge that you have to overcome. I mean, with cartridges, uh, the challenges are even bigger than that because uh, you have to worry about not only, you know, creating the the circuit board, but you have to worry about getting the components and assembling the components. You know, that's another thing that often gets overlooked. You know, I definitely struggled uh, getting this stuff all together during... Um, during the time I uh, launched this because I was in the middle of um, the supply chain crisis. So there's a huge chip shortage and it was just a pain to, to get everything. And Oh my God. I mean, the chip costs were rising. So Mm -hmm. initially when I started off this project, um, the prices for the chips I was using was roughly half of what they are now. So they basically just they over they doubled, they more than doubled, which oh. uh is yeah, it's awful, especially if we, if you're going to scale up, right? So if you're gonna spend like um I don't know five thousand on components, now you're spending ten thousand on components. Or if you were planning on spending, you know, fifty thousand dollars, well now you're gonna spend a hundred thousand dollars, right? So yeah, it's bad when you've got something like this happening where all your chips are now like doubling in price and it's uh yeah, I did like figure out. Yeah, okay. Well, how do I save on costs here? And uh, and it was just yeah, a total nightmare getting this stuff assembled. I ended up like having to send it over to India to get some of the the components assembled. And yeah, it, it's just <laughs> just yeah, there, there's so many like loops you have to jump through in order to get. You know all this stuff together like mm-hmm. it's uh and i've had issues with like getting just getting the boxes you know you think that'd be something simple right but no i've had issues where yeah the manufacturer will misprint something or they ended up just like getting like i don't know one was like i had like uh, this weird streaking that was on all the boxes like their machine was corrupted or something and then I had to like you know tell them, hey, you know, I had this issue, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, no problem. We'll, you know, fix that. And then they do some change and then uh, you know the graphics are all blurry And it's like, I oh, you're not using the right um image that I gave you. You're like the DPI is totally off. You know, it's just all this sort of stuff that has to come together. And yeah, you're it's, it's so easy to make a mistake, you know, because there's mm-hmm. so many different components. You know, it, it's easy to make one little small typo or something like that. And that just oh, yeah. now you've just ruined a whole batch of things, right? So, uh, my advice to anyone who plans on doing this is to like always order a sample, never like blindly just buy something like in bulk. Mm-hmm. You always have to get a small sample. Then, once that uh, once it's golden, then you give them the green light. But, uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> a lot of moving parts uh when you go in the physical world i must say yeah. and also
0: you were i assume you were a one-man team doing this correct yes that's right yeah and not only that too, i feel like the make matters worse especially for you, you know, dealing with the supply chain problems dealing with the manufacturing problems it was all i mean not all on you but you were the one person who was constantly going to the manufacturers like the people printing the boxes the people making the chips, and. You didn't have anyone to delegate that yet. So, like, okay, you go handle the boxes, you go handle this, and you couldn't like divvy it up. So, I could only imagine that just added to the stress. You already i mean we're already in the middle of a pandemic and then with the supply chain and everything on all those other problems when they arose it probably just made your life just made life 10 times worse yes
1: definitely (laughs) (laughs) but you know you you either sink or swim right so yeah uh i was starting to sink but yeah i managed to somehow make it to the shore (laughs) i was
0: (laughs) about to say i mean obviously you swam
1: but i don't know if i would have i probably
0: would have sank to be perfectly honest (laughs) Yeah, Um, the pandemic just put a giant toll on everyone. And you were someone who's making, who developed and is trying to sell an indie video game physically that will work on any NES in the North America. And you are not just going through all and all, all these problems are just coming at you. after left now i feel like it's a damn miracle this game came out
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of is (laughs) with all the
0: stuff you're telling me it's like copper jacket is a freaking miracle the fact that it's there that i saw it physically and now i know what kind of you went through the hellscape you went through to get this into gamers hands it's like bro applause gold star (laughs) i i probably would just said fuck it i'm out
1: (laughs) well so like i was kind of (sighs) i was kind of planning on just having this be a failure but i tried my best to you know not have it be a failure Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a uh i guess a class of uh development methodologies in the software world called agile it's an umbrella term used to describe you know how how one should uh go about developing something and it's one of the core principles in Agile is, you know, fail fast, learn fast. The idea is like, you know what? I, I'm going to fail. I'm bound to fail. There's so many things that can go wrong. I'm just going to try my best roll with the punches and take them as they come. And, you know, that kind of gives you the flexibility you need to, to take on like different challenges uh, instead of me you know, kind of meticulously planning everything way ahead of time and you know uh, making everything uh, hard uh, I guess making everything based upon other things like having all these dependencies you I mean you kind of have to do that but you know you you should have uh, contingency plans and uh, sometimes you, you just you can't foresee everything and you know if it is a failure, you just basically take what you've learned, and you you start over. You try again. You come out um, with a new product, and you take you know all that failure, and you you convert it into something that's actually useful for you. So what kept me going was the fact that you know I now know what not to do. I now know like okay, this is going to happen, and I can dodge that. It's just like playing like an NES game. You know, the yeah. first time you go in level, you're bound to get killed, and <laughs> you don't just turn the game off, you, you, you proceed. You go like, okay, well now I know that this is coming at me and I am going to be better prepared for that. And you know, you may fail again. You may die like 10 times, you know, it may take a hundred times for you to clear that level. But the point is, is that you keep pushing on forward and you know, persistence is key really for anything you want to achieve. You just gotta keep at it. You gotta keep doing it. And uh, yeah, just you've gotta have that right mentality that, you know what? probably going to fail uh if it does that's okay you know uh, life's all about failure and learning how to manage that failure
0: i feel like master yoda is just like popping up from the background and be like <laughs> mm. yeah it's like that, you remember that, that scene in the last jedi where it's like failure the greatest teacher is
1: yes <laughs> it's true
0: <laughs> it is it 100 100%, it 100 percent is and not only that i'm well i'm glad you pushed through and made this game come out uh, because you obviously let's get NES old system discontinued. It's done. I don't want to say it's dead, but the fact that people are still making games for it nowadays, or even NES like games, I feel is a way for the system to continue to be alive in this day and age, especially someone like you who has made physical cartridges that work on an NES well long after it the system was discontinued by nintendo and while we were at the show we talked a little bit about the lockout chip and for those of you who don't know the lockout chip is this famous little chip that's inside the nes that's like if it doesn't read a certain program the game's not going to work and you're not going to be able to play it how hard was it nowadays to get around lockout chip because obviously back in the 80s and 90s it was hard it was a very hard thing i mean atari literally broke the law to get around the lockout chip with tengen um but nowadays nowadays was it easier to do you feel that it was it's easy to get around old technology like that or is it still as challenging today as it was back then
1: i think it's much easier now uh there's lots of people that tackled this problem uh and Basically, it solved it uh, for me. So <laughs> that's something that I really didn't have to worry so much about. Uh, uh, there's a, I can't, I can't remember the name exactly of uh, who the programmer was, but yeah, he developed this solution that worked on, you know, I don't know how to properly pronounce this chip. Uh, I just call it at tiny13. It's a, a little flash uh, chip that's got, um, yeah. Uh, Trying to remember how many pins. I think it's uh, like eight pins on it. And uh, all you have to do is you just take this code that this guy wrote, you throw it on this flash chip. And if you wired your board properly, it will communicate with the NES and trick it into thinking that, uh, yeah, your game is legit. Now, Ooh. this is not like um, I know some of those uh, older. Uh, nes manufacturers would do sort of these unsafe tricks where they would just like send like too much voltage to the lockout chip on the nes to like (laughs) to freeze it basically and just get around it that way uh this chip doesn't work like that so it's it's nice to have something that yeah it works cleanly and efficiently and you don't have to worry about frying someone's uh lockout chip which, and I mean, it doesn't
0: destroy your system
1: yes <laughs> but i mean I can
0: wholly imagine playing a game that tricks the system to get too much voltage into that certain lockout chip is going to destroy the system eventually
1: yeah i would think um i mean there's some really sketchy games out there i know uh, some of those you know 501 game cart type things like i know some of those get uh really really uh Hot, like they—they they seem like they're almost overheating. Um, but yeah, uh, thankfully, like, yeah, I'm just going off of you know what already exists—the CN ROM mapper. So yeah, I'm not doing anything crazy or uh, novel. <laughs> it's just yeah, the standard already exists. I'm just making it for a more yeah modern uh, user with flash instead of ROM and yeah having a a game that runs on the nes
0: and also i
1: i guess my question
0: earlier kind of defeats the purpose because with the passage of time obviously you have hobbyists you have people who are just who will just for funsies go into these certain systems um reverse engineer them just figure out how they work and then they say hey we figured out how this thing works and i i can only imagine nintendo's not going to go after these people because it's like oh it, it, they just figured out how to break our NES system. That's fine as long as they don't break how to how to break our switch. We'll be we're okay,
1: right? I want yeah. I I'm kind of curious on that. They probably just don't care because it's so old. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, God, how old it is? Like approaching forty, isn't it? It's it's a it's pretty old now. Now that I'm thinking about it, but yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I wonder, like, yeah, what? I know they interesting that you mentioned that because they do care about people who have those. Uh, those ROM hosting sites for those mm-hmm. NES games. So they definitely oh, yeah. care about the software. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it it seems like they just don't really care so much about the hardware. I know the technically like their patents have expired, but there are mm-hmm. certain things that they still hold, uh, you know, they have copyright ownership of. Right. So yeah, you can't, there's certain things you just simply can't uh, replicate or duplicate. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm also curious if, um, If another reason why they aren't, if they don't really care so much, is just because you know I'm not in Japan, right? I'm not on their doorstep, you know, selling this stuff. Because maybe they wouldn't appreciate it if, yeah, it was straight up in their face. (laughs) Probably, but but I mean, there's nothing that they can really do, right? I mean, they had people who weren't part of, um, yeah, the Nintendo world making games for the NES when the NES was their, you know, bread and butter. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, it'd be like if, um, I don't know, like uh, Intel, yeah, they developed their own computer and they developed their own operating system. And then they told everyone, oh, if you want to develop software or any plugins to our Intel computer, well, you're going to have to go through us. Well, it's like, uh no <laughs> yeah. uh like that i mean i suppose like there are certain things that um they could legally do for um the short term like i'm trying to think if um yeah back in the 80s if i don't think i think isa was uh i can't remember if that was open to the public for people to create cards for or if that was proprietary uh, I, I have to look that up uh and i think PCI uh, and PCIe, those were uh, open. Uh, I don't know if you know what those are, but basically, you know, on your if you ever uh, assembled the computer, you're going to have these expansion ports on the motherboard. So ISA is like a really old uh, standard that used to exist exist back in uh, the 80s, mm-hmm. and it was part, I believe, yeah, IBM computers had it. Um, okay, and. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is um yeah, depending on uh how old like these old ports are, like people just don't really care if you you develop for them just because yeah, it's been so long and the patents for these things have expired. So there's yeah. nothing they can do to legally to stop you because yeah. I'm,
0: I I could de- I'm also i didn't mean to go down this legal this like legality rabbit hole because i do like your game and i think your game should exist and people should be able to play it and enjoy it um but at the same time you're i mean once again the only way i could see the nes making any sort of money for nintendo is like through you know the multitude of nes merch that nintendo has commissioned from other manufacturers you know like keychains apparel Um, And of course we all remember the NES mini classic that sold like absolute hotcakes that was worth more than gold at one point in time. And thank God I got one when I did. (laughs) Um, But also, also I would say that the NES is, I don't want to call it a dead system. I don't think that call it like if what's a dead to me, like a dead system is like a system that truly not the majority does not care about. Not even in the slightest. Like I'll say the Intellivision is a dead system. I'll say mm. the ColecoVision is a dead system. You there are a few people who remember, like a few people who and a few hobbyists who are trying to keep the system alive, which by all means, please, it's an important part of your game history. But if you talk about old systems and they and anyone under the age of 20 mentions the name Coleco or Intellivision, it's either because they know their stuff and and um read up on retro history or it's by pure happenstance that they're and it's a system their grandfather had in their claws at one point
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't even i don't even think like my coworkers know uh, what those uh those consoles are and you know they're in their 30s and 40s but Yeah, I'm in my 30s and I only know about those systems because I like reading history. That's it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I literally thought that in video game history, it went from the Atari 2600 to the Nintendo Entertainment System. There's nothing else, and then Nintendo just blew up. Like, if you were told me when I was a kid there's other video game consoles outside of Atari, I would have called you a liar.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, like the first gen, like, yeah, the only reason why I know about first gen because I was like, okay, if we're on like Gen 6, well what's the first gen, like just kind of curiosity, you know? Uh, so that's why I know about those things. Cause yeah, I just was very interested in uh, knowing the history behind um, consoles. And I'm also very interested in just old computers as well. I like yeah. all that old retro stuff. So it's right up yeah. my alley.
0: Well, even old computers, cause it's just so amazing to see how far we've advanced with computers. Like I'm record, we're recording this and I'm recording this on my laptop my super thin MacBook Pro. And just think like 20 years ago this laptop probe would have been a lot heftier, would have been a lot bigger, a lot more expensive. And then even just before that I, I remember the old seeing an old Apple II in my high, in my not my high school in my elementary school computer lab, with the old green graphics playing Oregon trail. And then the next year I remember our school got this huge donation or we got this, all this money and we had all these brand new Mac computers in the computer lab, but they were all the see-through they're like the (laughs) classic see-through colors. And it's like, look how awesome our computer lab is now. And it was just awesome.
1: God. Yeah. It's, I mean, it really is crazy going from uh, personal computers in the '80s to, I mean, really just what we had even ten years ago. I mean, oh, yeah. that that leap from the '80s, the '90s, and the 2000s was just—it was exponential, you know. You, you—I mm-hmm. mean, Moore's law really dominated. Uh, it's kind of dying now, but you definitely saw its power back then, and especially since, um, you know, you didn't hit this. Uh, thermal limit on uh cpus you you saw this doubling of uh, clock rates right so uh you know uh, back in the early 80s you might have uh, a computer running at you know five megahertz personal computer and by the early 90s it's going at you know 30 megahertz 60 megahertz and then by the 2000s you've got cpus that are running at one gigahertz two gigahertz you know it's this crazy Uh, growth in terms of just uh, speed right and now since uh we've kind of leveled out in that domain uh the kind of growth that's been occurring is really on just the uh the cpu design itself like uh yeah talk about uh yeah crazy growth i mean we're talking about like multi-core systems that really are uh I mean, they outperform supercomputers back in the 80s by, you know, a country mile. I mean, these things are crazy powerful and how they're designed is just, it's, I can't understand it because there's just so much to it. There's so much that goes inside a modern CPU that, I mean, it would take, you know, decades uh, to really understand uh, exactly how everything works uh yeah i mean that's kind of why i like older computers uh just because they're they're a lot simpler to understand like you can learn how to design you know a, a simple uh five stage pipeline cpu uh and have it work i know there's a guy on youtube that actually he's doing that uh with um a bunch of <sighs> he has like all these breadboards and he's built his own five stage pipeline CPU and he's got like his own graphics card. It's like, it's really cool stuff, but yeah, you can't do something like this, you know, with a modern CPU architecture because it's just so fantastically complicated.
0: Yeah. Like even a lot of other like modern technology and stuff, like just the fact that that my cell phone can be, do all the things it could do nowadays compared to what my cell phone did, say, 10, 15 years ago. Like 15 years ago, I had a flip phone and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Like it's, I mean, just look at the graphics, right? Like from graphics you had in the 70s versus the 80s versus the 90s. I mean, I feel like it really exploded from, you know, the the 90s uh, between the 90s and the 80s and oh, yeah. yeah to to the 2000s as well but yeah i think it's just yeah, it's, it's crazy that that kind of change and i mean also to mention like the internet right like having this around this is a real game changer i mean i think it's going to affect like how we do business i mean it already has obviously affect how we do business but i mean it It's going to radically change things, right? With like remote work and, Mm -hmm. you know, having this ability to cut out uh, the middlemen, right? Like I was able to do this because I was able to get funding through Kickstarter, right? I was able Mm -hmm. to reach out directly to people and have them, you know, give me the funds that I needed to uh, procure my inventory. Whereas before, you know, you'd have to go out to some bank or, you know, go out to some you know big big wig and ask them for money and you'd have to pitch your idea to them and they would either say you know yay or nay based off of whether or not they thought is going to make a bunch of money and mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously my idea is not going to make a lot of money <laughs> like <laughs> it's not going to be it's not a billion dollar idea but um but i just thought it was really cool and i know if there's other people that that like that sort of stuff and yeah with the internet it, it kind of uh enables you it empowers you to to do these types of of things and yeah that's like one of the advantages with uh you know technology Mm -hmm.
0: most most definitely and even then and just because and even going to kickstarter you're able to reach the people who actually would want to invest because like you said go into a bank you had to convince a big wig I don't think a lot of bank bigwigs are a fan of retro video games. <laughs> yeah. You might get the one, but that one might be all the way out in Podunk, Arkansas, or somewhere Yeah, in the middle. And you're if we're here in California, we're just trying to get funding for this. And they're like, I'm not going to invest in that. But yeah, <laughs> the internet has, def- I would say it's changed things for the better and for the worse. Cause you know, you got some great stuff. You got some bad stuff with, yep. with any new technology. But was, was someone like you who's able to secure funding to make what I what to make a passion project like Copper Jacket is a testament to not only the community of retro video gamers but also for people who still love and still want um, old school physical games on their systems. Because I, I will always be team physical. I still will buy digital games. But I mean, for me, a digital game if it's like stupid exp- or stupid cheap on sale then yeah sure i'll go ahead i have i'll get free up some hard hardware space hard, hard drive space for it. that's fine but i will always be more impressed by seeing a physical, like a someone shelves of video games their entire collection of video games i will always be more impressed by that while it's annoying sometimes to you know if you want to change a game you have to get up take the game <laughs> out and put the new one back in and put the old game away well i understand that you just want to your you want to change it with the flick of a button i get it but at the same time just seeing games on a list while it's still pretty cool doesn't isn't the same as seeing games physically on a shelf in a collection and you're just like whoa
1: yes i i definitely agree i especially um you know one of the tragedies with this uh digital world is the lack of um you know cover art, right? I mean, sure, yeah. you still have like, uh, you've got some cover art here and there, but I really liked looking at those old school NES box art works because you know they got passion and soul in them because they hired you know like fantasy artists, painters around that time to to make a lot of these things. I mean, granted, there, there are some that are not <laughs> like that, <Yeah. laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I really wanted to 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 go through the motions and you know hire an actual artist and have someone create uh like a physical painting for the artwork for copper jacket just because yeah i i really i feel like that's part of uh going physical is you need that sort of authenticity oh, yeah. you need something that's that looks real and it looks yeah it looks like it belongs like on your shelf you know what i mean mm-hmm. i know there's some uh uh nes games out there that are uh other people develop that yeah, it, they just don't have that kind of um that look to them it, and i feel like that's like a really big part uh of going physical you need um i'm not saying like my artwork's like the greatest thing ever <laughs> but i'm just saying like it's nice to have um you know a game that's that's actually hired like a, a painter to to paint it uh i'm really a big fan of uh, acrylic artwork uh as well as airbrushed artwork so Mm -hmm. uh for the render um for copper jacket i went with an airbrush artist uh and yeah he did some fantastic fantastic work for uh for the the artwork and yeah i definitely would encourage anyone listening to this to you know to go that extra mile and uh you know, don't go cheap on this. This is, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, this is what actually sells the game in some cases. It's just, yeah, having nice, uh, good artwork uh, that's, uh, yeah, authentic.
0: <laughs> I would definitely say, had, had I not known that Copper Jacket was a, was a one-person game, if you were to put Copper Jacket next to a copy of, say, Strider or, no, not Strider, that's, or, like, say, something in, like, Metal Gear, Contra, or any of those games that, or any of those games that had that type of artwork on them, I would think that that game came out in the eighties based on the artwork alone. I would be like, "Oh no, this all these came out in the 80s. If you said, "Oh no, this one was actually released in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty whenever it came out," I would go, "Why?"
1: <laughs> well, thank you. That's exactly what I was going for. I wanted to make something that, yeah, it looked like it was, uh, it had that aesthetic, that eighties mm-hmm. type aesthetic. And yeah. if, if you don't have that aesthetic, it's just I don't know. It's kind of dissonant. It's like uh, an anachronism, right? It's like this kind of clash that you see. And I mean, I I can't be. I mean, who am I to really say how one should do like anything? It's just for me. Like that's just how uh, I wanted to go about doing stuff. Because I mean, yeah. If if you want, like, yeah, you can do whatever kind of artwork you want. Uh, There's there's no real Objection objective objective objection to that. <laughs> it's just uh yeah, it's just for me, like I wanted something yeah, that looked like it belonged in the 80s and came from the 80s and looks like it's supposed to go with the NES.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we have talked about physical games and how great it is having games physical. We do live in a digital world, and I have seen your game physical. But are there any plans to move to take the game from a physical because I assume this is physical only as of now, correct? Yes, as of now. All right. Are there plans to take the game to Steam or to the eShop or is it are you just planning to keep it physical right now and to put it online or to put it on those digital storefronts? Is it too much hassle, much hassle or or is it just one of those things where you just want to keep it physical?
1: Well, it all really kind of just depends on how things go. Uh, right now, yeah, the plan is just uh, to keep it physical. But um, you know, if there's enough demand for uh, having a digital version for it, uh, then I'll set up a, a digital shop and people can, you know, download the ROM that way. I mean, and the ROM—it's since it's a CN ROM uh, game, you can use uh, like a flash cart, like an NES flash cart. And you could dump the ROM on a flash cartridge and still play it on a real NES. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of the advantage with uh having this kind of digital release. You know, it's not like uh some EXE that I would release. It'd be the actual ROM itself, so people could put it on a flash cart and still play it on, uh, on a real NES, which okay. you got to do. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I will definitely say that when I was... I only played... Gosh, not even maybe five minutes of when I met you at um SoCal Gaming, but I could definitely say I wanted it It was one of those games where I would I would have kept playing it. Um, it was <clears throat> it. I only played a little bit of it. It was fun. I I was definitely enjoying it. It was definitely fun to see like where can I go, what can I do. Like I definitely noticed the how if I were to go into water, it be it would slow me down compared to if I was on grass or any mm-hmm. other type of terrain. Uh, but yeah, I would. I would definitely say that I feel like this game would be awesome on. I mean, as much as I would love to have it physical myself, because I am also a video game collector. I love having physical games. I don't have my NES plugged in (laughs) and I'm a little scared of plugging it in now because I haven't plugged it in, in years and I'm scared. It's not going to work.
1: Well, you know, they've got plenty of uh, spare parts out there for the system. (laughs) I think, well, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I was going to say I definitely learned my lesson when it came to a broken console because I told the story before on the show multiple times. So if there's a little dinger ding it up right now, uh, my Sega Dreamcast, the laser died like the laser wasn't reading. The system was turning on, but it wasn't reading any of the disks. And I thought my system was completely broken and destroyed. and it would never work again. So instead of doing the smart thing and taking it to a game store to see if they could repair it, I took it to a Goodwill along with my entire Dreamcast collection. Because I'm an idiot thinking, oh, all these games are going to be available digitally anyway. Surprise, no, they're not. I mean, uh. I just recently was able to download Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 on my PS3, thank God. But, yo, if what if there is a gaming regret I have I would go back in time to the day I'm about to pack all my Dreamcast stuff to take it to that Goodwill, slap myself across the face (laughs) and say, for the love of God, don't do that. Do you know how much this is going to just like scrounge up 50 bucks, get it repaired, it'll work, trust me, you're going to regret this.
1: Dang, oh, that is, I mean... Yeah. Oh, that's terrible.
0: Every person I've told that story to, they've had that exact I can't I know I can't see you, but I can I know the look on your face just from <laughs> listening to your voice. Gosh. You're just like, why would you do that? <laughs> and even looking there's like a um a collectible show where I live called Frankensons, and, and they have like a it's like a nerd swap me. They have a bunch of video game sellers and collectible sellers. Every time I see Dreamcast games. $200, $130, $100, $75 for these games. And, yeah. and the system itself is like close to $250 to $300, give or take, maybe $200. But still, it's just one of those things where like, I remember when this game cost me $100 in 1999 or when this system cost me $100. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I... Can I go back? I know that's like, 19, like 2000, early 2000 money. $100 was still a lot back then given for inflation. But right. can take me back. <laughs> At least it wasn't too egregious of a price than what it is now.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about, man. I, it's kind of funny that you you yeah you gave away that uh, system. I I didn't give away any of my games, but uh, for... My first GameCube that I had, yeah, it, I think, yeah, something like that happened. It was something small where things just stopped working on it, and I thought it was, like, totally destroyed, and what I ended up doing was just really destroying it. I just tore it apart, because I was, was kind of curious to see, like, how it worked, and I didn't really know anything about electronics back then, so I mm-hmm. just, uh yeah. Completely gutted this thing and just absolutely destroyed it. But, um, did you turn it into a lunchbox? Cause I've heard people do that. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it, yeah, I, I was, I was very careless. I, I just, well, I was like, oh man, this plastic piece isn't coming off. I'm just gonna rip it off and just snap it off. And it was just, yeah, it was really, really bad. Um, it's just, <laughs> just the worst thing you could imagine. Yeah. I just completely destroyed it. It, it I, yeah, killed that GameCube. But uh, I luckily, yeah, I, I ended up buying another one um, shortly thereafter, and I kept all my games, and I, I still still had um, all the little uh, memory cards. So, yeah, I, I just feel kind of bad because, like, if I would have just kept that GameCube and had done nothing to it, like, I would be able to just repair it now with the knowledge that I have. Right? Yeah. It's just, it's just. Uh, man it just sucks like man why'd you do that you killed something that's you know one of a one of a kind you know like that it's got its own serial number and yeah you just you destroyed that thing (laughs) but uh yeah learned my lesson i i i definitely am a, a fan of uh the sort of repair economy not the consumer type economy just because like yeah in the consumer economy when something is no longer produced you can't really repair it right you just have you're kind of forced to go on to whatever the latest greatest thing is so i mean sure we can repair stuff now but i mean eventually i mean we're going to run out of uh these chips right like mm-hmm. you're talking about uh your reluctance to turning on your nes well you know now there's plenty of spare parts but eventually you know they'll kind of run out Uh, i'm hoping that one of these days um you know there'll be some kind of machine that is able to uh, basically print uh any integrated circuit that you want that's you know kind of from that era uh like from the 80s and the 90s where things weren't you know this super small condensed you know die that's got like you know millions upon millions of transistors on them well i think they had quite a few transistors back then thrown on one of these uh um dies but uh you get the idea like i think hopefully one one of these days like in the coming decades something like that will come about i know like fpgas are kind of uh they're not the same in my opinion they're 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 an approximate it's like hardware emulation with these Mm -hmm. things so you can get uh pretty much the exact same effect but obviously there's limits with that sort of stuff like you're not going to find an fpga that can you know uh run like the dreamcast cpu right it's just it's not feasible yet but maybe someday yeah something like that will uh will emerge where you could just create yeah this exact chip with the exact specs on it and it works exactly the same uh hopefully something like that comes out
0: i have a feeling it might the the way technology has been moving the way that people that hobbyists like yourself or or, um like indie game developers because i can only see that with the passage of time indie games are just gonna get better and better and better like with a lot of Um, indie games in today's day and age they're 16-bit they're 8-bit but they're like more fluid 8-bit or they're more the animation is a little bit more fluid um but they still invoke these old classic games that the the developers grew up with and i feel it's only a matter of time when we're going to get people who are making games it's like hey this is revoke this let's invoke the gamecube let's invoke the sega dreamcast let's invoke um let's invoke the playstation Graphics and then they make Mm -hmm. these indie games that have those style of graphics on it, but they're you know working on modern hardware and it's running buttery smooth. And I could, I can, I can see as an even hobbyist like the the person you were talking about a while ago who made the solution to get around the NES lockout chip where it's not overclocking the chip and it's not, you know, effectively killing your system. I can only imagine that somehow, some way people are gonna find a way. Like even if you look and I'm it, it, it might be a little bit of a dirty word for a lot of gamers today. You look at certain people with, who have emulation cores. I've heard nothing but good things about the Dolphin emulation core where it runs GameCube games at pristine quality. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm not very good with emulation. I don't know the settings for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I just feel like um, like I'm not really a fan of emulating things either either. Yeah, both in the domain of software and in the domain of hardware. I like to have, like, things that have this exact design and, yeah, they work as uh, the original did. I mean, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like, like if I had a choice, right? Like, If you had the choice between buying, like, uh, yeah, let's say an N64 that had, you know, a Raspberry Pi in it or an N64 that it didn't have the original circuitry, but the exer- the circuitry in it was it's like the exact same designs, right? It's got the exact same chips, and it functions exactly the same. You know, like, which would you prefer? Like, I, to me, I would prefer the one that doesn't have the Raspberry Pi, even though perhaps the Raspberry Pi one would, I don't know, be just as good. Like, yeah. for argument's sake, let's just say, like, to the outside observer. Uh, they function exactly the same. For me, I would still go with uh, the one that's got, even though it's not the original, like PCB with the original chips, it's uh, like an imitation, but it's it matches the original like schematics and it matches yeah. the original design to me, like that's the one I'd go with. And I don't know. It's just <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm just really autistic on this sprites <laughs> or something.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that because i actually met of um at um um, socal gaming i want to say they were in the row behind you um there was actually maybe they might have been directly behind you um it was a table of this um i want to say husband and wife duo where they modded game gears Mm. and there had some game gears where they had a motherboard where they essentially they changed the motherboard but the motherboard itself was built the exact same way had the exact same well it weren't official sega like these motherboards weren't made by sega themselves it's all the same components all the same um type of chips essentially it was an identical clone of the game gear but it just had a few extra bells and whistles thrown in
1: yeah and so when
0: you say yeah when you say that it's like oh people are actually already doing it whereas if you want a game Gear nowadays you could get one of these essentially built from the ground up game Gears, but it's the exact same programming is the exact same chipset the exact same dimensions of the motherboard it was just built in the 2020s rather than 1990 whatever
1: yeah yeah i love that you know it just kind of um yeah it, it keeps it alive you know and it's uh this whole idea of oh this is deprecated or you know it's uh obsolete like it yeah it spits in the face of uh obsolescence you know it's mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's here it is, you know, like it's it's able to be recreated today and it, it functions as intended. Like, I like that. It's like, you know, just because like, let's say you you have, a, I don't know, a, a grand piano that was made in the 1800s. Would you say it's obsolete just because like you can recreate those exact same effects with You know some casio keyboard and uh your computer i would say no right like even though like you know the latter may be technically superior it's able to create a wider range of sounds and it's able to you know um do that in uh you know i don't know within a i don't know some crazy kind of uh time metric (laughs) meaning like uh if i wanted to i could You know have my computer uh just write a song for me or something like that instantly right especially Mm -hmm. with like this ai stuff nowadays but like yeah i I wouldn't say that now makes the the grand piano obsolete because it's old i think it still has a it it still serves a purpose it has a function and and if people still make grand pianos you know it, it it's kind of not obsolete it's it, it's, it it remains irrevocable it's permanent it, mm-hmm. it it stays and i that's what i like i like having the ability to make uh tools not necessarily technology but just really any tools just remain and you know if they serve a function yeah let them serve that function there's n- there's no need uh, um uh, yeah i kind of mentioned the know if you've been uh aware of like the ai stuff that's going on uh as of late but yeah i'm I'm very ambivalent on this subject because yeah it it kind of yeah brings into question yeah like am i obsolete like (laughs) i mean obviously i i am not of that persuasion like i i think uh yeah old things are just as good as as new things but you know it, it kind of uh you know begs the question right like if 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 we're all gung-ho for, you know, the most efficient thing, the most fastest thing, well, I mean, that's kind of like where AI is headed. Like it's faster at creating things that any person possibly can create, right? It can compose music instantly. It can, you know, uh, do some voice track within a matter of seconds. It can create uh, paintings or, you know, whatever you want. Um, It's, it's there and it's, just getting better and better and better and yeah i I wouldn't say that just because you know this thing exists and it's able to reproduce uh you know media better than these other things that means that those other things are obsolete now i i mean and i guess in a strict sense they are but uh, yeah i kind of reject this notion of yeah we just need to be the most efficient as humanly or not even humanly as possible just as possible you know what i mean
0: <laughs> yeah i i reject that notion as well um let I me mean, go going back going on the ai bit um i mean ai i can see its uses for certain things but when, if you, when you're talking about art and or creating and writing stuff like writing a novel making a painting i was like don't just just don't yeah um, i to me that to me that's like the forbidden realm it's like just just don't touch that just keep that away for, but because good art, art good art takes time things take time and if you want and obviously in our world of consumers especially with us video gamers um when a new like i cannot tell you when i when i finished final fantasy 7 remake when i beat the game for the first time and i was just like Obviously, you beat a game and you're frothing at the mouth. You want you didn't want it to end, you want more. But thankfully, like, or in today's day and age, I can easily take a step back and just be like, all right, I finished it. They're gonna make the second one. Eventually, it's gonna come out. I just have to wait. Go to the backlog. Whereas when I was a kid, I was super impatient, especially with Kingdom Hearts. I wanted Kingdom Hearts 2 out now. I beat the game. I wanted that game now. Obviously didn't get it. Had to wait four years, but I want to say like with because with, with games, with games, with art, with film, with movies, all those take time. And if we just let AI do it all, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be good. Even today's day and age, it's not good.
1: <laughs> I don't, I yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's one of those things where like I'm ambivalent. Part of me really hates it, but part of me also really likes it. Like it definitely is a, it's very liberating in a sense like I've I've played around with it a bit and you know I can create like images now that uh, you know I wouldn't be able to before like I can create hyper realistic things granted it's it takes time like it's not like I just type in some text and you know it just renders exactly what I'm thinking about but like using a process of like using uh, like my own just sketch abilities, and Photoshop and AI, like I can literally create anything that I can picture in my mind, like with yeah. an and crazy amount of uh, detail. Whereas before, like it just, yeah, it wasn't really possible. I, if I wanted to create such a thing, it would take me like a year to to get right. Whereas, well, perhaps, perhaps not a year, but uh, it just expedites like the the creative process in a way. I, I think mm-hmm. if you're going to use AI. You have to you have to really own it. You can't just like ask this thing for something and then just claim it as your own. You have to use it as like, uh, in con- you have to use it in conjunction with something like something else, uh, yeah. uh, maybe like uh, to polish something up or add style to something. I mean, I think that that is a valid way of 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 using it. But again, like uh, I don't want to like step on other people's feet here right like i don't want to discourage other people who would use it to make whatever they want i don't i I don't want to uh yeah tell them that they should uh eschew this this technology although it's just like you said before right every type piece of technology it's got its pros and cons right i think it's like fire you can use this fire to heat up your house or you can use it to burn down your house right yeah it's like one of those things where Yeah, you should just be cognizant of how powerful this is, right? How Mm -hmm. how dangerous this thing could be, and um, yeah, I I don't know. It's very exciting to see all the progress being made, but it's also very worrisome. Like, I wonder, like if yeah, if uh, yeah, if I'm just going to be completely replaced. Like, people have no interest in like human made products when AI stuff is just going to be superior it's kind of like chess right now like chess mm-hmm. back in the day you know like gary kasparov the famous uh, uh grandmaster who played against uh i believe it was a uh, deep thought and he beat and then he played again against ibm's rematch machine uh deep blue and he lost to it but he was saying like in an interview later on like yeah you know this ai it's good but it's it sucks in a way like it makes weird moves and really in order for us to be uh uh, good and and, uh, we need to work together and that's how you make some uh, a really good uh you know chess analytical decisions but eventually you know he was kind of proven to be wrong when google came out with you know a real ai not just this really powerful computer that was Uh, you know running all these heuristics when google came out with its ai like it knocked out all these other chess engines like just it it swept the floor with them and it proved to be like far superior than any human machine combo like ai just totally surpassed them and i wonder if like in a world of art and media and content creation if we're going to see i mean i if i had to predict i i would guess that yes like ai is going to get so good like it'll be better than than what humans can create i'm not saying it is right now obviously but i mean just eventually like it's just it keeps accelerating at this crazy rate and mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's bound to happen sooner or later
0: i'm i feel like it will but at the same time i i'm a bit of an i'm a bit of an optimist i hope that if ai does get to a certain point it'll be more like star trek ai where it just helps us you know
1: plot.
0: yeah <laughs> i I'm, i want, i'm hoping for the star trek future where it's like you know everyone does no one it's like everything's fine nothing i mean yes there were some bad parts of human of history but we fixed it uh i mean i also going back to ai i could see ai being used as a tool like maybe a stepping stone for certain artists, like because I will I won't lie as because I write for um, I write for video game magazines. I try to I'm trying to write a, a book at the same time. I do, I'm trying to do all these creative projects. Mm-hmm. And there are days where I know exactly what I want. There are days where I'm like ready to rock and roll, where I'm just like typing so fast. I get so much work done. And then there are days where I'm just staring at my screen going, how come keyboard don't go? Brr? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, I mean, I haven't used AI and also I don't want to, part of me doesn't want to go down that rabbit hole or even start going down that slippery slope. But I can see like with, even with AI art, where like those like those TikTok filters where people were turned into anime, where where people were turned into anime um, characters. I would say, I mean, obviously there are times where like the art itself just goes, you know, it's a TikTok app. But at the same time, It's a good stepping stone so a professional artist or someone who knows what they're doing is like, okay, I can take this and make it even better. I could could see AI stuff like that being used as like a stepping stone. And also as long as like artists and people say, oh, yeah, this started out as an AI thing, but this is what I did to it. And then they turned it into their own thing. Really just I feel like transparency is the big thing that we need in today's day and age it's like yeah this is what this is like how this project started and then it went from there i feel that as long as they like straight up come up and say oh yeah i used ai in this sense or in this context then like maybe people can start like relaxing a little bit and going oh okay i see where you went i could i can see where they went or i see how they did this so i feel that just transparency context. I mean, obviously, some people aren't going to do that because you know we're humans and we suck. But, <laughs> but I feel that as of right now, it is going in a scary, crazy way. But also, hopefully, we can figure out how this can be an advantage and a boon to us instead of uh, a detriment. So, I yeah. mean, technology, te- people, we're all we all technology in today's day and age. It's always had yeah. that, like. Uh, like maybe if you look back in history when the when the television first came out people were scared like the movie industry was like really trying to say no don't you make tv shows it's gonna rot your brain i can only imagine how many uh people were trying to lobby the government to get rid of televisions in your homes now every house has multiple tvs and you can't imagine a home without a tv and even with video games you have parents and people You have parents back in the 80s or in the 90s saying that video games are violent. They're going to watch your brain. They're going to do all these horrible things. Turns out they don't. And things with shows like The Last of Us, people are realizing that video games have amazing storytelling capabilities that you just can't get with movies or books.
1: That's true. I mean, the only thing I would add to that is uh, like some technology really does uh, over come it 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 dwarfs other technology i should say uh, for instance like like home consoles right they kind of mm-hmm. killed uh arcades you know the, the i mean sure there's still some arcades that exist now and here and there right but uh the whole culture of having uh you know a meet up with their friends at the local arcade is kind of gone, and yeah. I think AI it has the potential to disrupt many industries in this manner. Like it, it again, we don't know. <laughs> it, it's okay. way too way too early on to make any uh, assertions, but I think let it me does. check my
0: crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: yes. Oh, those are the
0: winning lottery numbers. Okay.
1: I think I think the silver lining at least with uh, AI is that you know it kind of again it, it's a liberator so it does give individuals the ability to create like really high quality things without having to have you know a whole you know company backing them right like mm. you could use uh you know an AI to compose music for you you can use it an, and you basically are the music director you could use the AI to you know make a uh, the artwork you can use it to help you write your story you could use it to you know create props or assets right you don't need to have to hire like all these specialists instead you can now use this tool that helps facilitate you know uh uh, your abilities in order to create the product that you have in your mind and that may like I don't know exactly what that will do. I don't know if that will disrupt industry. Like now, you've got all of these small studios that are basically acting like like Hollywood studios, right? Producing content that's of that caliber. And yeah, who knows? Who knows? Like what what's going to happen there? I must say, like yeah, playing with this stuff, yeah, it's it's just it's mind boggling what it can do. I mean, there's a yeah, you, it's kind of a you see a lot of these meme images where people don't really know how to use the ai they just kind of you know spit out some prompt and like you get this weird abomination that kind of approximates something that looks like art and a lot of people think that oh that's all the ai is capable of i would i disagree i mean if you know if you really take the time and learn like all the different uh algorithms that you can use to to render images and if you learn the the tool set properly you really can create um at least in in terms of like illustrations you can you can create whatever you want and if you're you're struggling with something then you can train it right you can train the ai to to understand a new object or if you want to understand a new style you can train it to understand a, a new style um so yeah in terms of like needing an illustrator like you you don't at this point like uh if you really wanted to you could just learn how to use this ai and then yeah, boom like you're you're golden
0: uh true but also takes the fun out of it in my opinion
1: oh absolutely you know it, it's 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 not as rewarding either right it, you're kind of like like it's the difference between running a mile and driving a mile in your car right like <laughs> one is obviously uh more rewarding and uh more significant because yeah you're using your own skills, your own body to propel yourself, to advance yourself to your destination. And the other is kind of like, yeah, so what if you ran a mock and <laughs> I hop in my car and do it faster than you can, you know? <laughs> <Go for it. laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I, but even though like cars exist, I mean, there's still people that run miles, right? Like, I, I feel like even though there's AI, you know, that doesn't uh, preclude the artist from. Uh, painting in terms of passion it may however preclude the artist to paint professionally that's the real worry right like people yeah. are worried that i i can't make a living on this anymore because you know there's this other thing that does that and that kind of already happened uh, with painters in particular right photoshop killed painters for when i tried to hire a, an artist uh to make the artwork you know i had to go through a huge list of artists because none of them did paintings uh, for uh commercial purposes they all are like you want what yeah we could do that in photoshop for you because uh yeah that's what all of our customers want no one wants any physical paintings anymore and yeah, yeah it was it was hard to find someone that actually would do uh, like an airbrush uh painting mm-hmm. uh so it that does suck you know but i think uh even though like the market will be disrupted i think they'll still be uh you know, some people out there that will keep the, the art, uh, alive. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there will. And
0: especially you, you're keeping the art of making NES games alive.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. I I don't know where this technology is going. You know, it's like the internet, right? It's totally changed things. Mm -hmm. I think, I think this AI is really going to change things uh, in the decades to come. Again, only Probably. time will tell. But uh, yeah. yeah, I, I just—I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful, but also pessimistic. I'm amb- yeah. ambivalent. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just
0: trying to stay positive on this whole thing. I'm like, we're almost we're that closer to Star Trek. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, that's what I'm ho- that's what I'm hoping for. Well, Nick, we're coming up on time right now. I just want to say thank you so much, and also I want to ask where can people find you and your game on the internet?
1: Right. So currently we're working uh, on updating our storefront. Uh, our website is monsoonstudios.net. You could also find us uh, on Twitter, just monsoonstu. Uh, again, that's just at monsoonstu. And normally I, I make posts on there, but I kind of... I've been really busy with other stuff so i've not posted on my twitter and out like <laughs> probably over two years at this point but that's just uh yeah i my uh little blog that i have basically for new games that i'm working on but since i've been busy with physical stuff and this whole supply chain issue yeah it's just been kind of dead but yep that's uh where you can find me
0: awesome and of course, the game is called Copper Jacket. Uh, do you have any other conventions coming up that you're going to go to, or is you're just waiting for the next SoCal Gaming Expo to?
1: You know, I'm kind of debating whether or not uh, to make an appearance at the the Portland one. Um, Ooh, nothing okay. set in stone. <laughs> nothing set in stone yet. Uh, but yeah, I may or may not be attending that. Uh, all right, all depends on uh, yeah a few things I've got going on
0: yeah i went to portland i was looking enough to go to portland last year i want to go again but it's a for because i live in southern california and for me traveling to portland and all that stuff is just even more like yes but i would highly recommend going to PRGE if you can go to prg at least once it is truly a retro gamers paradise
1: that is what i've heard
0: (laughs) but yeah so anyways go ahead check them out on twitter If you see him around, definitely check out uh, Copper Jacket. It is a fun game. I swear, I need it next time I see you. I need to play more of it. And Nick, thank you again so much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute blast talking to you.
1: And thanks for having me.
0: Of course. And for now, unpause.